Hi, welcome to Twister Talks. I'm Josh. I'm Tanya. And it's actually really funny that you did that because I swear to God, I was actually thinking about that this morning doing that. Really? I was like, whoever starts the podcast, we should do that sometime. And I'm like, okay, get out of my head. Great minds think alike. You know. Or so the fools say. And today we are covering the case of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Indeed. The only way I can think to put it is disaster. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's I think even that's what it's down as power plant accident, power plant disaster. Yeah. Because it was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Um so take it away, Tanya. So jumping straight into the facts. <laughs> um so just over thirty six years ago, on the twenty sixth of April nineteen eighty six there was a major nuclear accident at the number four reactor in the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. And the International Nuclear Event Scale, which was introduced in 1990, so after... After the fact. After the, after it happened. But mm. um, obviously they used this scale then to classify it, you know, yeah. to, to put it on it. Um, and it was introduced by the International Atomic Energy Agency. Yeah. And they rated the accident as a number seven, which is the maximum severity. The oh. only other level seven accident being the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan. Um, Crazy. And I kind of forgot how recent the Fukushima Japan one was, was yeah. um, until I was doing this research. And I was like, whoa. Um yeah, okay. that's really not that long ago. No, like, like that's... That's in our life. 11 years? Yeah. Like, we were 13, 14, going on 15, somewhere around there. Quick maths. What, what year did you say it was? 2011, so 11 years ago. Uh, I would have been... We both would have been... Depending on the time of the year, we both would have been going on 15. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, welcome to us doing maths. I'm not we good are at clearly maths. brilliant at I it. I have dyscalculia. Um... Two plus two, that's five. Quick maths. <laughs> <laughs> two plus two. What is it? Two plus two is four minus one. That's three. Quick maths. <laughs> um. But anyway, so Chernobyl power plant is located near the now abandoned city of. Forgive my pronunciation for a lot of things during this episode. Yep. Pripyat or Pripyat? I'm not sure. Pripyat. Oh, actually, I think it's Pripyat. Pripyat. Yeah. Pripyat. Anywho, that city, uh, the now abandoned city. Located in the north of Ukraine, which was at the time the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, mm-hmm. because we had the good old USSR. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Uther. 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 The remix. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, the initial nuclear emergency response, as well as the later decontamination of the environment, Involved more than 500,000 personnel and costed an estimated 18 billion ruble, which was the currency there at the time. Now, this would be the equivalent of 79 billion, 217 million, 462,941 euro. And to be so precise, I converted it up as far as 27 cent. <laughs> you, you hit all the... Uh, yeah, I was here. I was like converting ruble to euro. And then I was like converting inflation. <laughs> My brain would have melted. Well, let me put it this way. It would have if it wasn't for the fact of so many online converters available mm. these days where I just type and I go. Think. Because if I had to do the calculations, they'd either be wrong or I'd have a meltdown and this episode wouldn't be happening. Yeah. Actually, pardon my phrasing. Yep. I didn't think of that. Poor choice of words. Yeah. So the accident, ironically, 
took place during a safety test. No. <laughs> yeah. No. That was meant to measure the ability of the steam turbine to power the emergency feed water pumps of an RBMK-type nuclear reactor in the event of a simultaneous loss of external power and major coolant leak. I think it would be fair to say that... Uh, it failed safety tests. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, during a planned decrease of reactor power in preparation for the test... The operators apparently accidentally dropped power output to almost zero, which was partially due to xenon poisoning. Now, when I first heard xenon poisoning, I assumed, oh, the operators must have been poisoned by something. Mm. But actually, xenon poisoning is a term for when a nuclear reactor is temporarily disabled due to a buildup of short-lived nuclear poisons in the core of the reactor. So it wasn't actually operators that were after you know coming into contact with something and getting poisoned. It was it was it's just a term for the what happened when the they, reactor when core basically being zero. kind of um, poisoned in a sense. Um, now while recovering from the power drop and stabilizing the reactor, um, the operators removed multiple control rods which exceeded limits set by the operating procedures. Jesus, so we're safe, on a roll. This is some safety test going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how unsafe can, can yeah. this get? How unsafe can we make this? Let's, let's, During this, you know, this this day of safety tests. Which I, but I'll get on to later, but it also says a lot kind of for maybe the way people were trained in health and safety and how much people were told and like educated on what they yeah. were using. I feel like this like is don't get me wrong, be... obviously lots of very, very smart people if they're working in a power plant. But the level of training or something given yeah. must not have been... I feel like this is going to be very similar to the Titanic, um, where, like, just... It wasn't necessarily the people's fault, the they just didn't know better. Yeah, the adequate training wasn't given. Yeah, that's it, kind of the vibe I'm yeah. getting, which um, I kind of touch off, it's I just, think, it was near the end. Yeah. Not willful incompetence. No, no, general. Yeah. Um, now, upon completion of the test, the operators triggered a reactor shutdown... Nice. And due to a design flaw, this action triggered localised increases in reactivity within the reactor, which then resulted in the rupture of the fuel channels, leading to a rapid decline in pressure, which caused the coolant to flash to steam. So, I was kind of confused as to what flash happen. means, but now I know it means kind of like boiling, basically, like started evaporating. I don't think that's meant to happen. No. And obviously, with the coolant flashing to steam, this decreased the neutron absorption. I'm not really sure what that even means, but something that's supposed to be absorbed wasn't being absorbed effectively, essentially. On Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> um, which led to an increase in reactor activity, um, which further increased the temperatures of the coolant. Mm-hmm. Um, and this process resulted in steam explosions and the melting of the reactor core. So at this point, it was just kind of a domino effect. Yeah, at this point, it was just like everything that yeah. could go wrong was going wrong, and a chain of events that doesn't seem like it could have been stopped at this point yep. was in motion. Um, now, the meltdown and explosions ruptured the reactor core and also destroyed the reactor building. Um, yeah. This was immediately followed by an open-air reactor core fire, which lasted. So bear in mind, was it the 26th I said this started, or the 28th? Uh, My brain just kind 26th, of... 26th, I think? I think so. So anyway, but the core fire, the open air reactor core fire lasted until May 4th. So just burning and burning and burning Stop. and burning. Um, loads of lovely radioactive stuff going into the environment. Radioactive bonfire night. Yeah, pretty much. It's crazy though, so it burned for quite a few days after. Yeah, 
like a good chunk of time like considering how like dangerous yeah it is um and during this time airborne radioactive contaminants were released which were deposited onto other parts of the ussr and europe interesting i Um, actually didn't know that yeah i don't think i put it in because you know the amounts that landed in a lot of specific countries were very minuscule Mm mm-hmm um, so I didn't like put in a list of all the different countries, but there is one part that, of the research that I've done that does give a bit of context for how yeah. far um, it travelled. Um, so approximately 70% of this landed in Belarus. And I actually remember um, when I was researching the case, I kind of got a flashback to being in primary school. Yeah. And I'm sure one of my teachers was actually off for a while because they went over to help. And I remember like a student joining our class because they'd left Belarus and came to Ireland because of this. Jesus. We didn't have anything like um, any, any experiences like that. Now, I know it happened, obviously, even before I was born. But mm-hmm. I just know that one of the main reasons, even if it was afterwards, that they were moving around, I think... I think the, they might have already maybe been in Ireland and came here because of that and mm-hmm. then ended up coming down to, to you know, here where we are. Yeah. But, um... And I think it was kind of a case of, you know, I suppose for years afterwards, there were still loads of efforts being done in charities. And I remember, mm-hmm. you know, gatherings being do done in St. Over, even we while were, we were in school. When we were kids and, like, you know, there was charities. So I think it was all that kind of thing that my, the teacher I mm-hmm. recall would have been helping with. I'm sure she did anyway. Or else, mm-hmm. I, I hope I'm not making that up. But she was a good person <laughs> She's anyway. A liar. So I'm sure she did. No, yeah. no, I hope I'm not making it up, not her. Um, <laughs> no, I said you're a liar. Oh, okay. Um, then we're fine. That's okay. Yeah, I suppose, like, I shouldn't have been so surprised by the fact that the radiation spread so far because even remember I feel like going back to when like we first met um we would have been like 10 11 12 and there was like a volcano erupted somewhere and the ash spread so far that like we even had darkened skies here like it wasn't severe here I don't know was it that like it was a while back (coughs) are we thinking of Iceland Iceland that's where it was I was just thinking Um, about it as well and multiple airports closed and yeah Um, we knew something was odd even down here like this little part of Ireland um, the skies were like dim and dusty and like Uh, it was um, just strange yeah it was strange like it does spread quite far that's why I'm terrified for the day if um, Yellowstone ever decides to go I thought you were on about the super volcano it is a super volcano no the one that you always tell me about yeah that is it Oh no, the one by Spain is not a super volcano. Oh, is it not? Okay. As far as I know, it's just an underwater one. Spreading misinformation. But um, and that's the one near the Canaries. That's the one I think that did erupt. Yeah, yeah, it did recently enough. Um, that was that one. But um, no, the super volcano I'd be more worried about is Yellowstone. We're all gonna die. Um, but anyway, back to the topic at hand. Yes, sorry. Yes, went on a little rampage there, but um, it's eleven eleven. Make a wish. Um. I wish for happiness. <laughs> wish for mental stability. Okay, let's be realistic. <laughs> but same. Um, Sorry, so, continue. right, we've got our 70% approximately that landed in Belarus, which was 16 kilometres away. Mm-hmm. And the fire released the same amount of radioactive material as the initial explosion. Jesus. So, like, so that's, they got double whammy, like they yeah. got blasted. So, like, not only was there from the, the how much it left off when it initially went boom, but yeah. there was also all this constant release from the burning. Yeah. Um, now, in response to the initial accident, a 10 kilometer radius exclusion zone was created 36 hours after the accident, okay. from which approximately 49,000 49, people were evacuated, primarily from Pripyat. 
Mm-hmm. Now, okay, I get that there's a lot going on and everyone's stressed, but I think taking 36 hours to even get a bit small much, zone in place for a nuclear thing. Like, I know you don't want to cause panic, but, like, there's there's reason to panic. Yeah. I know, obviously, you want to keep calm to get people moving along and, you know, because obviously the calmer people are... Like and the less they're panicking, mm. the quicker it probably will be to get them to move along. But also, but you need to be realistic as like well. Thirty six hours is a lot of time half. for people to be exposed to that level of radiation. Yeah, and like I know, like I remember when we were kids and we were being taught about Chernobyl. It was about like, obviously a bit about what happened, but more so about the fallout and like what it did to people. And how long the area is going to be the way it will be yeah. and things like and that. and what it did to the people that were there and that got the full extent of that exposure. Yeah. Um, like, I know a lot of people that had to go in, well, they didn't have to go in and do the clean-up, but people that went in and did that, the clean-up. Like, risked. They, most of them have cancer or have passed from cancer now. Yeah. Um, there was, like, a lot of genetic abnormality. Some of complications, from um, it, like abnormal abnormalities abnormalities thank and you. you know what until you start trying to correct yourself yeah. it didn't even run right over my head abnormalities abnormalities with children that were born after the disaster because they're abnormalities hairy. is now going to be my new phrase for superpowers yeah. abnormal abilities I, I have abnormalities um so like a lot of people were born fe- still feeling the effects and i'm sure there's still kids being born today feeling the effects Probably because that radiation extent, anyway because that radiation was passed from mother to baby yeah baby to their baby like it can stay in the genes for a long time yeah like and like you have to wonder like what it does to your genes yeah i only know a little bit of how radiation affects you like doctors would be there and they're like don't even have a glass of wine don't smoke a fag yeah and there's or even like when they tell pregnant women don't go for an x-ray if you're pregnant because of the radiation yeah imagine what it did to women who were like like I imagine Nearly an X-ray is fuck all. Is it, no, it, no, I imagine it's it, definitely it's like fuck all. radiation compared, compared to, to the likes of a nuclear yeah. power plant going kaboom, like, or at least one of the reactors. It's just fucking insane to me. Yeah. Now, actually, fun. Well, I don't know. Is it a fun fact? But your, fact your anyway. Fun facts are never fun. This one is just kind of like, um, from what I gather, Pripyat was actually specifically built. Mm-hmm to like accommodate and house the people working in the plant okay so it was basically kind of the reason of it being there kind of was specifically kind of to accommodate to the amount of people that would have worked in the power plant and to have like that little town there for that Pripyat was basically built and destroyed for and by Chernobyl power plant yeah um now later the exclusion zone was later increased to 30 kilometers and an additional 68,000 people were evacuated so big numbers um two engineers were killed and two more were severely burned from the reactor explosion um after the explosion obviously a massive emergency operation um to put the fire out stabilize the reactor and to clean up the ejected radioactive material began mm-hmm. now during the immediate um emergency response uh 237 workers were hospitalized 134 of them showed symptoms of acute radiation syndrome, or ARS, or acute radiation... I have that down twice, but anyway. As you do. Go acute on. radiation syndrome, or ARS, which can all, which is known also as radiation poisoning or radiation sickness. And it's a collection of health effects, obviously caused by exposure to high amounts of ionising radiation, mm-hmm. which includes nuclear radiation, uh, in a short period of time. And I believe one of the sources I saw kind of said, you know to high numbers of it maybe within a five hour period 
Yeah. So, like, like, you know, like, they would have been exposed to a lot of it in a lot less than a five-hour period. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense that so many people suffered and... Suffered and were sick. Ultimately, a lot died. Like, Pripyat was evacuated within 36 hours, but then they didn't expand the exclusion zone... And I know, obviously, that, maybe the worst of it was probably that ten kilometer radius. In Pripyat, you know, but, but the there fact, still would have been that it was still yeah, was going out. Like, like the fact that they had to revise the exclusion zone. Yeah. Show shows um, that there was a lot more radiation than perhaps they had anticipated or they had See, first known. But I'll like, kind of go into it. People were still in 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 too close. In the shit. Regardless, they were in the shit. Yeah. But like, and I'll kind of go into it a bit in a little while, and I don't understand how, but they actually, I think as well, a reason that they took kind of longer to like evacuate and stuff like that and expand exclusion zones is because for a while at first, they didn't realize the reactor core was actually like screwed. Okay, so they didn't realize they didn't realize the extent of they didn't realize radiation was still being released. They didn't, yeah, like they didn't really, they weren't really sure if radiation was being released full stop. Okay, right. Because they weren't 100% sure if the reactor core itself was intact or was, was, was or... Um, fucked or if it was just around it or the building yeah. or, you know, but I'll, I'll kind of go into more detail on that in a while, but I don't understand how they didn't know, mm. to be honest. But um, but um, symptoms of your acute radiation syndrome can start within an hour of exposure. Uh, early symptoms are typically nausea, vomiting and loss of appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, in the following hours or weeks, the initial symptoms may appear to improve before the development of additional symptoms after which either recovery or death follows. Fuck. So, yeah. Um, among the 237 hospitalised, 28 died within the following three months. Oh my God. Um, all 28 of which had been hospitalised for acute radiation, radiation syndrome. Um, in the following 10 years, 14 more workers died nine who had been hospitalised with ARS, and the other five died of various causes mostly unrelated to the radiation exposure. So not necessarily entirely is what I gather from that. Okay. Um, so Chernobyl's health effects to the general population are uncertain. Um, an excess of 15... So when they say an excess, I'm assuming that means, like, do you know how when, when it comes to like diseases and cancers and stuff, they mm-hmm. normally have like an estimate for how many people get it and die of it every year. Yeah. So there was an excess of 15 childhood thyroid cancer deaths oh. documented as of 2011. Oh so an increase in that. And obviously it can't be a coincidence that, That's awful. you know. Um, now, a United Nations committee found that up to May 2011, fewer than 100 deaths have resulted from the fallout. But determining the total eventual numbers of exposure-related deaths is uncertain. Uh, based on the linear no threshold model, which is a contested statistical model, mm-hmm. so you know there's kind of people for it, people against it. Mm-hmm. There's kind of, it's I suppose controversial. Okay. Um. Now, <clears throat> to, first of all, to say what the model is, I suppose, is the linear no threshold model is a dose response model used in radiation protection to estimate health effects of radiation such as radiation-induced cancer, genetic mutations, and abnormalities of physiological development on the human body. Mm. And model predictions of the eventual total debt toll in the coming decades vary, but the most widely cited studies by the World Health Organization predict an eventual 4,000 fatalities in Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia af- um, 
as a result of Chernobyl. Oh my god. Um, and like and again, that's in the long run. So that's kind of that could be people who die in ten years from genetic mutations that have been passed yeah. on. But again, they wouldn't have died of it if Chernobyl, if Chernobyl hadn't, hadn't happened. happened. So it, it might not have been an immediate. Thing, yeah, like but it still counts as a fatality thanks to the power plant accident. Even now, there's still people dealing with health issues from this, dealing with the fallout from this. Um, there's still people who've never been able to return to their homes. Yeah, but a lot of people. And the thing is, like, they couldn't bring their stuff. Well, as far as they were concerned, and I'll and again, I've said this so much now, but again, I have it down. I'll yeah. touch off it in a while, but like, originally they were all under the impression um, that they were only leaving for three days. Yeah, like. Every, but like everything was contaminated with radiation anyway so like yeah they couldn't bring anything really Better, like, they didn't know, know they couldn't you'd bring really anything. if you were to go back and want to get something like you'd really want one of those thingies that, that, that Geiger the, kind yeah, of, yeah to like Geiger your stuff yeah <laughs> that's what you'd but say like, but it's, like it's but like the air would pretty, still probably have something in it so even yeah. if you're trying to figure out what's on your stuff it's probably going to be going off a little bit in certain areas anyway yeah. like it's just crazy to me because i've seen videos of people like going in and out of chernobyl like youtubers and things which i don't think they're even allowed <clears> to do realistically there's certain zones where you're going into and it's considered illegal but mm-hmm. i think you can like there's people that still live in the exclusion zone like i think that went back and they live there and again i think i think i wrote something about it in a while if I didn't, I'll say it at the end because yeah. I kind of remember the gist of it. Um, but yeah, there's people who went back and just have lived yeah. their lives. I suppose your whole life is there. Yeah, do you know, like I suppose some people are like, well, if I get sick and die, I get sick and die, but I'm not yeah. leaving my home kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know. <clears throat> now, again, this is where pronunciation is probably going to be awful. <laughs> so for anyone who can pronounce these properly, apologies for me butchering it. Um, so after the disaster, Pripyat was replaced by the city of Slavutich. Slavutich. Um, a new purpose-built city built specifically for the evacuated personnel of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Um, the, U- the USSR built the protective Chernobyl nuclear power plant sarcophagus, um, which basically was a, a thing that covered... The, the reactor, okay. not the whole power plant, just, just the reactor, because it was only one reactor that exploded. Okay, there because I think they have like the reactor that exploded was number four, mm, so they, so they have at least four reactors. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so um. This was built by December nineteen eighty six, and it was a massive steel and concrete structure that covered the you know nuclear reactor number four uh, covered that building of the plant. Um, and this sarcophagus reduced the spread of radioactive um, contamination from the wreckage and also protected it from weathering. So it was obviously lead-lined or made of lead? Um, I'm not sure. I think it was just concrete and steel. Because mm, I know... Because um, I didn't see anything about it being lined, but... Oh, wait, I'm, I'm thinking of... Um, um, every now and then archaeologists will find like a lead-lined sarcophagus. But, oh. like, it's usually because the person inside died of, like, the plague or something. Oh, yeah, But I'm okay. pretty sure lead... Yeah, because they make you wear a lead apron at the dentist and, like, at the... And with x-rays and yeah, things like that, yeah. so it makes sense. So maybe that's why I was thinking lead. And they could have, I just didn't see anything about it, but, um... Um... Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, and this also provided, you know, to some extent, anyway, radiological protection for the crews of the undamaged reactors at the site... Um, which were restarted in late 1986 and 1987. Say that one more time. Yeah. Like it happened in what? Was it April 1986? 
1986, and by late 1986, they had the other reactors back up and running already. Child. Anyway, so... (laughs) However, the sarcophagus was only intended to last for 30 years, and it required considerable reinforcement in the early 2000s. Um, And then in 2016, a new structure was put in place to confine the remains of the number four reactor unit, and this was called the... Excuse me. The new safe confinement. This structure was built around the sarcophagus um, and it was a larger enclosure aimed to enable the removal of both the sarcophagus and the reactor debris while containing the radioactive materials inside. Um, so cleanup is supposedly scheduled for completion by 2065. Nice. So that's what? 43 years away. There you go. My brain was saying a much higher number. <laughs> it is scary to think that that's only um, 43 years away, though. Yeah, and it will be, what, 80-ish years after the fact of what happened? Yeah, give or take. Yeah, actually, about 80, about 80, give or yeah. take a year or two. Yeah, something like that. Um, But, like, it's crazy. Yeah, but, like, I'm just kind of like, what did... Um... So that's 43 years away. If we're still alive, we'll be 88. I hope I don't live to 88. Like, if we're still alive, we'll be 88 by the time, like, all that clean-up is scheduled for completion. Mm. Yet it happened before we were even born. Before we were even a fucking semen. Yeah. <laughs> or an egg. Yeah. Like, that's wild to me. Like, my dad was... Happened in... What year? 1986. Six. My dad was 16. Like, 1986? Yeah, my mum was nine. Do you know what it's I mean? Like, crazy. that's crazy. My parents were teenagers when this happened. Like... And I'm going to be an old woman by the time... The clean-up is the done. The clean-up is done. Yeah. Um, now, I want to go into a bit more detail, because, like, you know, I suppose everything so far has given kind of the general gist of the situation, mm-hmm. um, but now I'm just going to go into a bit more detail in relation to the crisis management of what happened. Um, despite safety regulations... <laughs> wait. A, cust- a, com- a, custable, a combustible material called bitumen had been used in the construction of the reactor building's roof and the turbine hall. So material ejected from reactor four ignited at least five fires on the roof of the adjacent reactor, reactor number three. And it was obviously extremely important that these fires were extinguished and that the cooling systems of reactor number three were protected so that, you know, the same thing didn't happen with another reactor. Of all things to be like, in spite of safety regulations, of all things, a nuclear reactor people. And like, remember when I said there was a lot of parts of this that I found, and I was like, "How can how 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 was this stupidity done?" This isn't even I what I was referring to. We haven't got to that yet. Who was? Who what? ordered it? Who signed what? off on that? What pick cunt sat down and said, "Right, we're going to build these nuclear reactors to channel nuclear power, and we're going to put combustibles." We're going to put an extremely combustible material. material in the roof. In the roof. And the turbine hall. And I'm like, if it was a cost cutting thing, I'm like, they didn't save much now going by all the costs that I've had to go into it afterwards. I swear to God. The, the... Yeah. Is there even words like? No. 
This, um, this was so serious listening. Yeah, I just had to press the button to just let her go away before she started talking. This was so preventable. As with every great tragedy. This yeah, to was be fair. So fucking preventable. And even, let's say, for argument's sake, it wasn't preventable. Things like having to worry about the roof of reactor number three would have been preventable had they not used yeah. vitamin, like, vitamin, however it said. I want to say vitamin. But, bite, um, a man. bite a man. Bite a man. Go out there. Go in now and bite a man. That's only when I'm at the corner. Specifically the Russian man who's responsible for putting fucking nuclear combustibles in with nuclear material. Oh my God. The stupidity. I just can't. And I'm like, but anyway, so inside reactor number three, and here we go with names that I might not be well at pronouncing. Go on. Yuri Bagdazarov, the chief of the night shift, wanted to shut down the reactor um, immediately. But Chief Engineer Nikolai Foman, Foman mm-hmm. would not allow it. And the operators were given respirators and potassium iodide tablets and told to continue working. And now, potassium iodide is a chemical compound and medication or dietary supplement that is used to treat hyperthyroidism in radiation emergencies and to protect the thyroid gland when certain types of radiopharmaceuticals are used. Um, there are also other uses for it um, from treatment of certain conditions of the skin and gastrointestinal tract, although its use for those conditions are supposedly more common in the third world. Um, it's also used as a supplement for those who have a low intake of iodine in their diet. Hmm. Um, but anywho, it's taken orally and has been used medically since at least 1820. Okay, um, it's got some history. Yeah, exactly. And um, then at 5am, Yuri decided to shut down the reactor, which was confirmed in writing by Anatoly Dyatlov, a deputy chief engineer at the plant and station shift supervisor, Ragosgin. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Shortly after the accident, firefighters arrived to attempt to extinguish the fires. Um, first on the scene was a Chernobyl power station firefighter brigade under the command of Lieutenant Vladimir Pravik who died on May 11th, 1986, from acute radiation sickness. That's, that's only like two weeks afterwards, like. That's... Um, they had not been told how dangerously radioactive the smoke and debris were, and may not have known that the accident was anything more than a regular electrical fire. Like... Like, just... Yeah. Because they weren't informed enough. Now, I suppose, realistically... If you're in that line of work, you're probably, even if you were informed, most people, I'd imagine, probably still would have gone ahead mm. yeah, out of some moral obligation, but, but it would have been nice to know. They could have taken better precautions if they had known what kind of situation. If they'd fully known the extent of the situation that they were heading into, they probably would have been able to take better precautions. They probably still would have gotten sick. And probably died, sick. to be honest, but, like, being that close. That man probably spent those two weeks in agony. Yeah. Because of this. And then it's like, you know, like when when we were talking about um the ARS earlier, like and it's it was saying like about how, you know, your symptoms can appear to go away and then yeah. the next lot come on or they get worse and then you either recover or die. So it's like what I feel like the most for them is a lot of people who may not have known a lot about it mm. could have started to feel better before they felt worse and be like, Oh yes, I'm gonna survive. Yeah. And then And then not. Um, now, a driver of one of the fire engines, Gregory Kmel, 
probably not saying that right. Later describe what happened. We arrived at 10 or 15 minutes to 2 in the morning. We saw graphite scattered about. Misha asked, is that graphite? I kicked it away. But one of the fighters on the other truck picked it up. It's hot, he said. The pieces of graphite were of different sizes, some big, some small enough to pick them up. We didn't know much about radiation. Even those who worked there had no idea. There was no water left in the trucks. Uh, Misha filled a cistern and we aimed the water at the top. Then those boys who died went up to the roof. Uh, Vashtik, Kolya and others and Valdoya Pravik, they went up the ladder and I never saw them again. Um, now, Anatoly Zakharov, a fireman stationed in Chernobyl since 1980 though, gave a different account in 2008. Okay. He said... I remember joking to the others, there must be an incredible amount of radiation here. We'll be lucky if we're still alive in the morning. Um, he also stated, of course we knew if we'd followed regulations, we would have never gone near the reactor. Mm -hmm. But it was a moral obligation, our duty. Mm -hmm. We were like kamikaze. You know, right. so like, you've got kind of some accounts that say they didn't know, but then you've got an account like this that says, of course. Yeah. Do you know, and I'm kind of like... I'd imagine you would know when you see those bits on the ground, like you can tell that that's not a normal electrical fire. Therefore, you would, you know, or even yeah. if it was an electrical fire and you see it's already affecting the building and stuff's getting thrown, I would automatically assume, okay, we need to prepare as if this is a radiation mm -hmm. event. Do yeah. you know, like, that sounds like yeah, what should be done. So it's kind of hard to suss out who knew, who didn't know. Maybe kind of this guy was kind of using, him, like me there, kind of using assumptions and, what mm, I would yeah. consider no offence, common sense. Yeah. Um, whereas some well. of the other people kind of just maybe were too caught up in what was going on and trying to do their job, yeah. and it just kind of went over their head That's to think about the radiation. Well, so it wasn't from a fa wasn't from the point of view that they weren't intelligent or anything like that. It's just they were so focused on dealing with the situation yeah. at hand, it never occurred to them. Yeah, or maybe genuinely might not have had the knowledge surrounding radiation to realize what was going on. Yeah, but I would like to hope to God that if you're stationed somewhere near something like that, that yeah, you have you some, have sort, some of, sort of, that some sort of seminar or training has been given to you through the fire, um, I don't know, committee or whatever, um, on nuclear power and radiation. Yeah. Now, um, obviously the immediate priority um, was to extinguish fires on the roof of the station and the area around the building containing reactor number four, and like I said before, to protect reactor number three and keep its core cooling systems intact. And mm -hmm. um, the external fires were extinguished by 5 a.m. Um, but many firefighters received high doses of radiation. And um, the fire inside reactor number four continued to burn until May 10th, 1986, 14 days after right. the accident. And it is possible that in this time, well over half of the graphite burned out. Um, initially... It was taught by some that the core fire was extinguished by a combined effort of helicopters dropping more than 5,000 tonnes of sand, lead, clay and neutron-absorbing boron onto the burning reactor. So there's your lead. There's my lead. Um, historians estimate that around 600 Soviet pilots risked David... Da David. <laughs> risked David! They risked it all for their beloved David. Um, risked Yay. dangerous levels of radiation. To fly the thousands of flights needed to cover reactor number four um, in this attempt at sealing off the radiation. And saving David. And saving David, whoever he is. Um, 
As reported by the television series Witness, a CBC series, uh, CBC I believe is Canadian Network, mm-hmm. um, eyewitness accounts of the firefighters involved before they died, um, one described his experience of the radiation as tasting like metal and feeling a sensation similar to pins and needles all over his face. Christ. Um, and when it comes to radiation levels at the time, they were measured in Rowan gins. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But in modern times, we now measure radiation in greys or okay. grey. So I have converted all statistics into, into grey or greys. Um, now, the nuclear radiation levels in the worsted areas of the reactor building mm-hmm. have been estimated to be 0.049 greys per second, which is equivalent to more than 175.4 greys per hour. Now, when you look at that, it doesn't look like a large number, mm-hmm. you know, 100 and something, whatever, and it might not seem like a high figure just to look at it, but when it comes down to nuclear radiation, a lethal dose is around 4.385 grays in a short amount of time. Fucking hell. And that number was over 175, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's um, like. per hour. Uh, so in some areas, unprotected workers received fatal doses in less than a minute. Oh my God. Um, you know, so they might not have died then and there, but the dose they'd received was sealed their fate. Yeah. Um, they were dead before they left the building like yeah. even if they walked out of that building they were dead 60 seconds like yeah um, however a dosimeter a device that measures dose intake of external ionising radiation such as nuclear radiation was buried in the rubble of a collapsed part of the building mm-hmm. and another one failed to turn it on so these two dosimeters were capable of measuring up to 8.77 grays a second. So if they had been able to use one of them, it would have shown them, you know, just how dangerous the radiation levels were. Yeah. But obviously one wasn't working and the other was buried, so yeah. probably destroyed. Yeah. Um, and then most of the remaining dosimeters they would have had had limits of 0.0000877 gray per second. So it would have been able to measure. So that's not a lot. And therefore, using them, all it would have read was off scale. Yeah. Therefore, the reactor crew could only ascertain that radiation levels were somewhere above the 0.50877 um, gray per second, uh, while the true levels were much higher in some areas, probably most areas. Mm-hmm. And because of the inaccurate low readings, the reactor crew chief, Alexander Akimov, assumed that the reactor was intact. But I'm like, I don't understand this. What do you mean? Like, because of the low readings, there was no low reading. It said that the readings yeah. were too high for it. And yes, those dosimeters were only capable of reading a low amount. Mm-hmm. But you still don't know whether it's um, 10 times more than what the max is on it, 20 times more, 30 yeah. times more. You just know why would you... Fine. Do you know, why would you assume that the reactor was intact just because something that's not capable of what you need? Yeah. You know, I just thought that was very silly. Very stupid. Yeah. Um, so, the evidence of pieces of gravite and reactor fuel lying around the building was ignored. And at 4.30am, another dosometer... Wait for this, though. Another dosometer was brought in by 4.30am, and its readings were dismissed under the assumption that this new dosometer was defective. Fuck when realistically life. that dosimeter was probably spot on and they just thought it was defective because they were assuming the reactor core despite the graphite and the reactor fuel was intact despite every bit of evidence mounting up they were like nah, nah. <laughs> yeah it's fine um, Akimov stayed with his crew in the reactor building until morning sending members of his crew to try to pump water into the reactor 
Uh, none of them wore any protective gear. Um, most, including Akimov, died from radiation exposure within three weeks. Um, when it comes to the evacuation, the nearby city of Pripyat was not immediately evacuated. Um, at 1.23am local time, the time the accident took place, the townspeople were, you know, completely oblivious as to what had just happened and, you know, were going, continuing about their, you know, their business, their mm-hmm. life, as they would any other day. Yep. I suppose for some people that was probably at that time being in bed. Yep. Other people maybe out and about having a drink or something, I don't yep. know. Um, however, within a few hours of the explosion, uh, dozens of people fell ill. Then after a short while, people were reporting severe headaches and metallic tastes in their mouths, uh, along with uncontrollable fits of coughing and vomiting. So the radiation poisoning had started to set in. Had started to, yeah, set into the people of Pripyat as well. Um, Later on in the day of the accident, um, April 26th, 1986, a commission was established to investigate the accident. This team was headed by Valery Legazov, First Deputy Director of the Kurchatov Institute of Atomic Energy and including included sorry leading nuclear specialist Evgeny Velikov, hydrometeorologist Uzi Israel, radiologist Leonid Ilyin and some others as well. And the commission representatives flew to Borispol International Airport and arrived at the power plant on the evening of April twenty sixth. So by this time, two people had already died and 52 were hospitalised and the representatives soon had enough evidence that the reactor was destroyed and extremely high levels of radiation had caused a number of cases of radiation exposure. They finally, finally had enough evidence. Yeah. 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 In other words, the people that obviously knew what to look for and could see mm-hmm. had yeah, had twenty twenty vision because the graphite and the bits of reactor that fuel were yeah and the fucking the level of radiation that the faulty Geiger counter showed them wasn't enough evidence yeah you know like okay guys so in the early daylight hours of April twenty seventh roughly thirty six hours after the initial blast is when they ordered the evacuation of Pripyat. Mm -hmm. Initially, it was decided that the population of the city would only be evacuated for three days, but obviously later this was made permanent, and to this day, Pripyat is an abandoned city. Um, By 11am on April 27th, buses had arrived in Pripyat uh, to begin the evacuation, um, which was to begin at 2pm, and... This there's a translated excerpt of the evacuation announcement, mm-hmm. and instead of reading it out, I put it into a text to speech thing. So I'm just going to insert that here for okay. you to listen to. So it's an English translation, um, r- rough translation of what the evacuation announcement said. Okay. For the attention of the residents of Pripyat, The City Council informs you that due to the accident at Chernobyl Power Station in the city of Pripyat, the radioactive conditions in the vicinity are deteriorating. The Communist Party, its officials, and the armed forces are taking necessary steps to combat this. Nevertheless, with the view to keep people as safe and healthy as possible, the children being top priority, we need to temporarily evacuate the citizens in the nearest towns of Kiev region. For these reasons, starting from the 27th of April 1986, 
2pm each apartment block will be able to have a bus at its disposal, supervised by the police and the city officials. It is highly advisable to take your documents, some vital personal belongings and a certain amount of food, just in case, with you. The senior executives of public and industrial facilities of the city has decided on the list of employees needed to stay in Pripyat to maintain these facilities in a good working order. All the houses will be guarded by the police during the evacuation period. Comrades, leaving your residences temporarily please make sure you have turned off the lights, electrical equipment and water and shut the windows. Please keep calm and orderly in the process of this short-term evacuation. So that is that announcement. Um, now, the actual announcement in, I'm assuming, I believe it was in Russian, mm. um, is available online to listen to with subtitles. I listened to the original with the subtitles on the Wikipedia page, which you, if any of you guys want to check it out, you can find the link in the episode description in the resources section. It's just on the, I think it should be the first resource, the one that's yeah. just called Chernobyl Power Plant Disaster or Accident. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm just like, if I was just there, like if we were there, like when, imagine just all radio stations and everything, everything just, just suddenly coming up with that. Like that, as calm as you might like to stay or as calm as the government probably wanted to try that and keep people, that must have been, been like... terrifying, like... Yeah, especially because, like... You can kind of, and I think I go into it more in a little while, but you can kind of see that with them, they like they don't like to announce things until they really, really, really have to. Yeah. As in, like it's kind of they don't want to cause panic, so they'll wait. So like, if you're used to them like announcing things when, you know, when it's like when, when they the only fan. have to, it's yeah. like when, when you hear an announcement, you know that it's serious. So like I was like that must have been terrifying mm. for people in the areas being evacuated and, yeah. and whatnot. Then to be told that it's for three days and the next thing you can't go back. Yeah, do you know it just shows the what's the word? I don't know. The something of the situation extent. Severity. Severity. Thank you. That's it. You're welcome. Um, and then obviously in order to expedite the evacuation, residents were told to bring only what was necessary, as you heard in it and that they would remain evacuated for about three days. Um, so as a result of this, most personal belongings were left behind and still remain there today. Mm-hmm. Um, so by 3pm, 53,000 people were evacuated to various villages of the Kiev region. The next day, talks began for evacuating people from the 10 kilometer zone. And 10 days after the accident, the evacuation area was expanded to 30 kilometers. So like that initial evacuation was literally just Pripyat. Yeah. Because then, it was the day after, was the 10 kilometre. Yeah. And then, did I say 10 days later was the 30 kilometre, I think? Um, but yeah, um, so the Chernobyl nuclear power plant exclusion zone has remained in place ever since, which is that, you know, 30 kilometres, mm-hmm. that originally 30 kilometres. Yeah. Although its shape has changed and its size has been expanded since okay so over time over time i suppose yeah like um the surveying and detection of um isolated fallout hotspots outside of this zone over the following year um eventually resulted in 135,000 long-term evacuees in total agreeing to be moved so i'm assuming there's people who chose to stay and disagree to move um the years between 1986 and 2000 saw the near tripling in the total numbers of permanently resettled people from their from the most severely contaminated areas 
uh, bringing the number to approximately 350,000 people. Fucking hell. Um, when it comes to any official announcements of what had happened, and this just gets me. It was actually about a day and a half after the evacuation, before the accident was acknowledged by the Soviet uh, Union. Um, and this also kind of goes to show, you know, the how far the radiation went, yeah. or extents of it, because in the morning of April 28th, so two days after, um, radiation levels set off alarms at the Forsmark nuclear power plant in Sweden, over a thousand kilometres away from the Chernobyl plant. Fucking hell. Yeah. I'm, I've cursed a lot during this podcast, I'm sorry, but fucking hell. Literally, like, um, workers at the Swedish power plant reported the case to the Swedish Radiation Safety Authority, mm-hmm. who determined that the radiation had originated from somewhere else, that it wasn't their plant. Um, that day, the Swedish government contacted the Soviet government to see if there had been a nuclear accident in the Soviet Union. Here we go. At first, the Soviets denied it. <laughs> but wait for this is such a this is such a typical example of like well you know I'm gonna go talk to mam or I'm gonna tell dad because then it's like but after the Swedish government suggested that they were about to file an official alert with the International Atomic Energy Agency um, then it was the, so- the Soviet government admitted that an accident had taken place at Chernobyl Egypt, man. Yeah, and at first, the Soviets only admitted that a minor accident had occurred. But once they began evacuating more than 100,000 people, the full scale of the situation was realised by the global community. So, like, it wasn't realised by an announcement they had made. It was realised by them saying, oh, it was only a minor accident. And then the the, the world seeing how many people were being moved and hearing about it were like, okay, that's not minor. The stupidity. Why did they think they could cover this up? Yeah, but like something, they they described it as a minor accident. It is the maximum level on the scale for yeah. nuclear disasters. This sets this sets the scale for nuclear disasters. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, now at nine oh two p.m. on the night of April twenty eighth, a twenty second announcement was read was read in the Russian news program Vremya, and it said. There has been an accident at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Oh, has there? Has, yeah. has there now? One of the nuclear reactors was damaged. The effects oh. of the accident are being remedied. Oh. Assistance has been provided for any affected people. An investigative committee has been set up. That was it. That was the whole announcement. Uh, and not only that. a national disaster, what can be considered an international disaster to an extent. Yeah, You know. absolutely. I'm... And that's that's their little 22nd announcement. And that was the entire announcement. And it was the first time the Soviet Union officially announced a nuclear accident. Um, oh, I swear to God. Yeah. Fucking Soviet Union. Um, so in the months after the explosion, attention was turned to removing the radioactive debris from the roof. Um, while the worst of the radioactive debris had remained inside what was left of the reactor, it was estimated that there was roughly 100 tonnes of debris on the roof. Um, on that roof which had to be removed yeah in order to enable the safe construction of the sarcophagus and bear in mind they said most of it was still inside the reactor and 100 tons of it was out of it so imagine how much there would have been in in the grand scale of things like that's fucking crazy Um, that's fucking crazy yeah and like initially they had planned to use robots to clear the debris from the roof 
you know, sounds logical. Of the 80s. Do you know, makes sense. Sounds like the safest thing, exposes yeah. as little people as possible. Uh, the Soviets used approximately 60 remote-controlled robots, most of them which have been built in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, but many of these robots failed due to the difficult terrain combined with the effect of high radiation fields on the robot's batteries and electronic controls. Yeah. Um, so because of this, the most highly radioactive materials were shoveled by Chernobyl liquidators from the military wearing heavy protective gear. Um, now, Chernobyl liquidators was the name given to those who were civil and military personnel that had been called on to deal with the consequences of the disaster and the, the clean-up, basically. Yeah. Um, so these soldiers could only spend a maximum of 40 to 90 seconds working on the rooftops of the surrounding uh, buildings because of the extremely high doses yeah, like of radiation suits, their suits wouldn't be able to protect yeah. them from that high of a dose do you know and they were being that that was being given off by the blocks of graphite as well as other debris from the accident um now there were reports that i did see that kind of needed better sources so okay. pinch of salt with this that basically some of these people um apparently reported me doing it multiple times like which is they should you know they should yeah. have only done it once for the how many ever seconds yeah. but a few people supposedly reported doing it multiple times but better citations and sources are needed yeah. on that so pinch of salt on that one i didn't actually include it i, mean, I just kind of remembered it still, yeah exactly i don't want to exactly it's um circumstantial yeah um only 10 percent of the debris cleared from the roof was performed by the robots the other 90% was removed by around 5,000 men who absorbed on average somewhere around a dose of 0.2192 grays each of, which is a, a very low dose, but it's any dose still, of radiation is, is more than you should yeah. have in your system. But I think kind of, you know, I suppose long term that could still probably cause health problems, but... Not as severe it as... Sh- they hoped that it wouldn't that yeah. much, but but there's always that chance when you expose yeah. yourself to something. Absolutely. Um, to and then to quickly touch off uh, the condition of the reactor number four um, in December 1986 it was concluded by a scientific team that had been investigating the reactor that there was no further risk of explosion from reactor number four okay. um, the, and then the official contaminated zones saw a massive clean up effort that lasted seven months but this clean up began very early on making it very dangerous mm. because obviously levels would still been crazily high yeah. Um, so the official reason given for this, rather than waiting and allowing time for natural decay, was that the land must be repopulated and brought back into cultivation. At I, the cost of people's yeah, lives? Yeah, exactly. Apparently so. Like, fuck off. Um, and within 15 months, 75% of the land was under cultivation, even though only a third of the evacuated villages were resettled. Um, and the defence forces must have done a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, this land, however, was of little agricultural value, 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 value. value as as you would assume yep. when there's been like you know what good can the soil radiation. be when there's yep. been that much contamination due to right, nuclear like radiation? You know, and whatever it would be, grow would probably be would be you know in the, in the food or crops yeah, that be contaminated, would be contaminated by radiation. Yeah. So they might some might grow, but they're not. I wouldn't they're not going to be safe to eat. Uh, now, David Marples, a historian, claims that the administration had a psychological purpose for the cleanup, like that it wasn't really about getting that land back. They just kind of hoped to prevent panic regarding nuclear energy and to even research a Chernobyl power station, which, as I mentioned, they did start yeah. it back up in late 1986, didn't, 1987 didn't time. Didn't seem like a smart idea. No. Um, 
But when it comes to emergency vehicles, many of them were buried in the trenches due to being radioactive. Uh, buried in trenches, sorry, not the trenches, it's not the war. So, <laughs> sorry. The excuse given was that they wanted to cultivate the land. Okay, so prevent further radiation from leaking into the soil. But then they went and buried radioactive vehicles. But I'm, I would I would assume, I didn't see it, like but I would, I would assume, assume that they were probably buried more so where Chernobyl is. Mm. Or like around Pripyat where it's like a no-no zone anyway. Okay, still, that's my assumption, but I don't you, know. You'd want to hope I'd so. I'd hope so, yeah. Especially given the reason for the clean-up yeah. taking place so early. Um, now, a lot of vehicles used by the liquidators, including helicopters, still remained as of 2018 parked in a field in the Chernobyl area. Mm. Now, scavengers have since removed many functioning but highly radioactive parts from Smart. these vehicles. Um, Take so, the radioactive bits. That's fine. You know, that's healthy. Um, liquidators worked under unacceptable conditions, were poorly informed and with poor protection. Many, if not most of them, exceeded radi- radiation safety limits. Because why not? You know, why tell them what yep. they're getting themselves into? Sounds about right. Um, a unique clean-up metal was given to the clean-up workers known as liquidators. Um, yeah, so, you know, you might die. You, Some of you may have died. Here's a medal. Yeah, Would you like a biscuit? Have a medal. Have a biscuit. Might even give you a cup of tea if you're lucky. Um, but, yeah. And then in 1987, there was a Soviet criminal trial held, which took place from July 7th to July 30th in a temporary courtroom set up in the House of Culture in the city of Chernobyl. Uh, five of the plant's employees were given uh, sentences ranging from two years up to the maximum one given of 10 years in labour camps. And mm-hmm. um, the families of three other plant workers had received official letters, but prosecution against these employees um had been terminated due to the deaths of said employees. Huh. You, yeah, they yeah, died. So, yes, you know. can't exactly uh, make now, a case against a dead person. Yeah, so that a few of them not got away with it because they died, but, but um, didn't have to go through the trial. Yeah. Um, Anatoly Diaklov, and I'm sure I mentioned him earlier, one of the employees um, that was sentenced to 10 years, which I think is the maximum sentence. Yeah. Um, was found guilty of criminal mismanagement of potentially explosive uh, enterprises. And three years of his sentence were for the role that his oversight of the experiment played in the ensuing accident um, to investigate... Um, oh, sorry. So, um, the oversight of the experiment. I'm assuming what they mean by experiment is the safety, safety drill. Test, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the word experiment... I don't know, gives me the impression that it wasn't necessarily, the test wasn't necessarily being done completely by the recommended procedures yeah. and books. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an experiment. Yeah, that's a bit of a weird um, word Phrasing choice. like, yeah. yeah. Now, to investigate the causes of the accident, the International Atomic Agency, or the IAEA, used the International Nuclear Safety Advisory Group, or INSAG, which had been created by the IAEA in 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, it produced two significant reports on Chernobyl, INSAG 1 in 1986, followed by a revised report in 1992 called INSAG 7. Okay. Now, INSAG 1 pointed to the main cause of the accident being the actions of operators, but the newer report, INSAG 7, actually shifted the main cause to being the reactor's design. So both reports, however, do point out an inadequate safety culture at all managerial and operational levels as a major underlying factor of different aspects of the accident 
Um, and this was stated to be present in not only operations, but also during design, engineering, construction, manufacture, and regulation. So everywhere it can be found, it was found, is, is what oh, I take from that. Pure cowboy shit, like. So, like, for me, like, I'm assuming what they mean by, like, um, by that is basically, you know, that people weren't necessarily, people were being lackadaisy, mm. just winging it, doing things however they saw fit. Do you know, maybe is. jumping over rules or, yeah. or not following certain procedures they should have followed and oh it was fine last time we did it so it'll be fine this time you know but they shouldn't have been taking those risks with nuclear power of all yeah of all the jobs like of all the jobs in the world to be cutting corners with nuclear power does not i wouldn't cut those corners if i worked for the esb never mind don't mind Chernobyl power plant like do you know like it's so crazy no half jobs like if you've got a job do it right exactly and i know we all have our bad days but there's a difference between having a bad day and, you know, slacking a little bit in the office than with rods and yeah. safety tests of a nuclear reactor. Yeah, and putting hundreds of thousands of people's lives at risk. And in your notice. Yeah, <laughs> and give it to me. Now. Um, but now. again, I suppose it's hard to pinpoint that blame onto anyone because yeah. it seemed to be everywhere in that plant. It seemed to be an overall thing. Yeah. So like, it's like... They were too comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And then anyone new that's employed isn't going to probably know any better they're going to because they're coming into that culture. They're going to follow what's being done by the more... Monkey see, monkey do. Exactly. They're going to follow what's being done by the more seasoned And senior people workers. and longer exactly. there. And like, yeah. if you work somewhere like that and you see your manager is like... Was say handling the rods without the proper protective gear. Then like, you assume it's okay to do you that, assume it's safe. or you or assume at least you okay. can get away with it, you know. Yeah, which still doesn't make it okay for them to be making these choices, but like, just have a bit. Of it puts it into perspective as to why newer people or certain yeah. people will be following it because it's the culture of the environment. You, yeah. you know, you you do what you see done, and you know if that was the culture, the way they were trained in could have easily been mm-hmm. exactly. involving that laxadaisiness or yeah. whatever. Um. Now, due to uncertainty about the sequence of events on the day of the accident and plant parameters, views of the main cause were heavily lobbied by different groups, such as the reactor's designers, power plant personnel, as well as the Soviet and Ukrainian governments. Um, Now, after INSAG 1, more information became available and more powerful computing has allowed for better um, forensic simulations, Mm -hmm. hence why I suppose the second report, INSAG 7, was produced. Yeah. Because they could get a better insight and kind of make a better assessment. Yeah. Um, so going by the latest report, the main blame is on the design, followed by the inadequate safety culture, which, to be honest, to my understanding, is just a polite way of saying the way things were done around the place yeah. as a whole, um, especially given what the line of work is, and that it was considerably below the standard that it should have been yeah. um, at, and people employed possibly had not received the proper safety training. Um, and you know things like that as I said a minute ago really they're just phrasing it nicer um, they're not coming out saying you take cunts you take cunts pretty much you know um, and I suppose that kind of concludes all my stuff on on it the main gist of it the kind of bits that I wanted to kind of go into more mm-hmm. um, because there was more that I could have put in and gone into more detail about certain elements of it like, but a lot of it was extremely sciencey talk that I did not have the brain to be deciphering. Yeah. And that kind of, I suppose, for for the podcast episode wasn't necessarily essential anyway. Like, I, I yeah, covered I with what I saw to be the most informative and helpful mm-hmm. to the case. But um, that was very informative. So you know, like there was a lot in it as well. That kind of like, you know, we all heard about Chernobyl when we were younger. Yeah. When it kind of, you know, the aftermath and everything. 
But like, and I like to have thought back then that I knew quite a bit and maybe I did for my age, but yeah. compared to now doing the research, I'm like, there is so much I didn't know. Yeah, no, you've taught me a few things. Like, I was like, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I was like, fuck. But um, now, um, you were saying to do with like theories and stuff like that. Yeah, so surprisingly enough, there actually wasn't much online. Which I am surprised about in the sense that, like, okay, I can kind of see how there might not be that many yeah. theories to do with what went down and how it happened. But I'm surprised there's, like, not these theories out there about, like, maybe the zone now or the area now yeah, or, like, like, you know, nothing. even these, like, like tinfoil hat out there yeah. stuff. I'm surprised no, there's honestly, nothing, like, but... No, there is a few books. Um, I couldn't get any access to the books, um, despite my best efforts. But... I did find three theories that I'm going to talk about today. Okay. So the first one that I'm going to delve into is the Duga 3 t- theory. I think that's how you say it. Duga. Just gives me Dougal from Father Ted vibes. Dougal. Will you have a cup of tea, Dougal? Ah, go on. You will, you will, you will. So the Duga 3 theory. 3 theory. I'm tripping over my words. I've so, already done it. God knows how many times I this know, podcast episode. Two of us are just navel today. Like. Bitches be tripping. We are bitches. Bitches be tripping over their words. <laughs> So the Duga theory is that starting in 1976 and continuing on into the 80s, people started hearing an obnoxiously loud and like almost concerningly strong radio signal. And there was complaints from... It was Cardi B going, help me, help me. Um, So this caused complaints from countries around the globe. Like, so this was interfering with radios around the world yes i'm assuming we're probably interactive with like flights and everything like yeah like i would assume so and this signal was determined to be coming from somewhere behind the iron curtain which is just another word for the ussr okay another name for it um and it was referred to as the russian woodpecker that's the name of the signal the russian woodpecker okay yeah just thought that was interesting um now is it just because it's constant and annoying yeah <laughs> like woodpeckers yeah. are cute they're like, but they're, they're cute for like five minutes and then they don't stop doing the thing and it's like okay i'm going yeah, yeah, I'm leaving says now. me who's never seen a woodpecker i've seen one. Oh my god do we have them here yeah i saw one this is like a year and a half two years ago I just saw one in a tree yeah, I but like, i didn't oh even god. know we had them in ireland like, oh my god that's a woodpecker now i want a pet woodpecker so Although I'm not too sure how that no, go down sorry, the two upstairs. It wasn't a woodpecker. I think it was a hummingbird that I saw. I was thinking of a hummingbird. Oh, hummingbirds are so pretty, but I, I've like never, I don't think I've ever seen one. Oh, actually, I think I have. But anyway. Anyway. The, um, what was it called again? Steel, iron, woodpecker, who? <laughs> <laughs> sorry! The Russian woodpecker. Russian woodpecker, iron curtain. Originating from behind the iron curtain. Okay. Yes. Um, so the signal was assumed, assumed to be... Um, like, its job was assumed to be looking for missiles that might be sent in Russia's direction. Because obviously this sent so So I suppose in. if a missile or something ended up coming, it would break through the signal at some point yeah. and fluctuate the signal and they'd know. That's what it was meant to be for. Like a sky, like a sky scanner for missiles. Um, and it was believed to originate from a radio facility called Duga 3. Now, here's where the theory comes into it. So, so far that's actually been fact. Yeah. It's in the exclusion zone. It was abandoned after the explosion. Um, so this project was worth $7 billion. Um, now I don't know if that's $7 billion today's money or 80s money. Okay. And the, and the project is the name of the, is the Duga thing that we're getting into. Is Duga, it? Yeah. Duga 3 
facility is where it was carried out. Sounds like something you'd send to the moon. Yeah, like Dougal. 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 So it was believed to originate from Dougal 3, which was a radio facility um, set up to intercept missiles, discover if a missile was being sent in Russia's direction. And now this $7 billion project was useless because natural... Where am I? I hate writing things out on paper. Um, We're so used to type. Yeah, natural forces interfered with the functioning of the thing, the signal. Okay. Which meant that it couldn't... It wasn't going to accurately determine anything. Couldn't do its job. So the theory is that high up Soviet bureaucrats ordered the nuclear meltdown in order to save their own arses essentially so that they wouldn't get like all the flack for for fucking up so badly yeah and what's interesting is the signal actually continued for three years after the explosion and then suddenly stopped in around 1989 okay like just suddenly stopped 1989 so three three years years after um so i wonder why it suddenly stopped like the nuclear thing didn't stop it yeah, so I don't know. It's assumed that either someone went in and turned it off, or or maybe radiation over time. Over time, broke it down to the point where it couldn't function anymore. But it was fucking useless anyway. It couldn't couldn't do what it was meant to do. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of like like I said. Now that's the basis for that. That it was basically a bit yeah. of a cover up of a fuck up. Now. You know, no disrespect to like, you know, Russian people or anything like that, mm. but I would believe that. Yeah. What is possible, just simply because of that government, yeah, and not necessarily the, the Russian government. At the time. Yeah, exactly. That's it's what at I'm getting at. Time, the whole, yeah. the Soviet, the USSR kind it of thing. It was a rough place. Like you know, rough and ready. Yeah, the whole world was a bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's still, it's still kind of cheese greater yeah. these days. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, do you know the way things were at the time is basically what I'm getting at. I, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me. So that is what I have. It's a bit out there, but I still. Wouldn't be 100%. You'd give, it, you'd give it some credence, like... Yeah, like, yeah. okay, I'm like, because uh, they'd have to spend a lot of money afterwards. Yeah. But, you know... So, yeah, so that is the theory of the Duga 3 radio centre and the wood, Russian woodpecker signal. And then we have the earthquake theory. So, this theory... Basically, the media in the 90s... Um, released information <clears throat> stating that there was an earthquake which measured about three to four on the Richter scale and it happened 15 seconds before the meltdown. So that's what was slipped in the 90s um, from the media. Um, now this was confirmed by seismograph data but rejected by nuclear scientists as an earthquake in the epicenter of Kiev is a paradox. So for some reason it's not possible in that area. Yeah. Um, now, in 1997, scientific work... I'm assuming, though, that that just kind of means the same way, like, if something happened, if that happened here, it'd be a paradox because yeah. of where we are on the plates. Yeah. But with that said, uh, England has had earthquakes. Yeah, like, it's in not impossible. recent, like... I wouldn't months. say it's impossible. But then again, maybe because they're that little bit more to the east of us, mm. maybe they're closer to the part of a plate that's a bit... That's, that's got that little bit of activity because yeah. they've been nothing serious. Yeah. But, like, I, I watched a video of one of the ones in England and, like, you wouldn't really see much going on, but you could hear it. You could hear it and you could probably feel it if you were over there. Yeah. Um, now, in 1997, um, scientific work was published based on analysis of seismographs that were 100 kilometers, 140 kilometers, and 180 kilometers from the Chernobyl power station. 
and these did show that at 1 hour 23 minutes and 40 seconds, 11 kilometers east of Pripyat, there was um, a weak earthquake of measuring 2.6 on the Richter scale. And was that like 1 a.m. or one hour from... Um, I think it was like 1 hour 23 minutes and 40 seconds. Oh, that would have been 1 a.m. in the morning because the accident happened at 23 minutes past 1. That's go. when the reactor, a rough time where yeah. it went boom. Um, so there was an earthquake measuring about 2.6, but it was noted um, that the explosion or explosions at Chernobyl didn't show up on these readings, didn't show up in these seismographs at all. Okay. So I would imagine that if there was enough distance between where the earthquake happened and the power station itself, that the explosions didn't show up, then I would imagine that the earthquake wouldn't, From have, that far away, it wouldn't, wouldn't show have had up much either. of an effect either. I wouldn't, yeah. Um, and that's all I have for that. Like, lit, there was not a lot yeah. out there. Like, there really wasn't. I was it was really obviously surprised. more. I was too, because when we first decided on it, I was expecting that it'd be like, you know, super interesting on both ends. And I like, thought there'd be a bit that more. That there'd be like loads of details on like, conspiracies. I was quite, I should, probably shouldn't say I was disappointed, but I was disappointed. Well, I suppose it's okay to disappointed about conspiracy theories and stuff, mm. because at the end of the day, they're not necessarily fact. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like you're hoping that something definitely did happen a certain way. Yeah. You're just hoping that there's a theory out there that you can go through. Um, so I have one more. It'd be more concerning if I was hoping for more. Yeah. <laughs> I was disappointed. Um, so my final theory that I'm going to talk about is the alien theory. And again... E.T., what did you do? Yeah, again, not much to it. He tro- Oh my God, new conspiracy theory. E.T. didn't phone home. No, E.T. did phone home. It's the woodpecker signal. Ah, <gasps> E.T., a dirt bastard. So, um, after... He tried to cover it up, so he blew up New Chernobyl and then off yeah. he took. E.T. phoned home. All his fault on Elliot's little bicycle. Um, so after the disaster of what yeah. happened, people claimed to have seen um, flying saucers. Okay. Some UFOs hovering over the station before the ex- in the hours before the explosion. Um, now... I'm an alien believer because I think it's... Um, it's kind of ignorant to assume in of such a world so vast I in a universe just, so vast that I there's not another living society out there somewhere on another planet if there's a livable habitat i was actually i was thinking about this today because i've come up with a theory about the planets i'll tell you about this after um my personal belief is that it is borderline narcissistic for humans to sit here and think that we are the only life forms in this universe yeah like before us there was Many species of animals. Yeah, like we didn't always exist either. Exactly. Anyway, so uh, rumors began to spread, and I have a direct quote here from um, I think it was the Go to Chernobyl website. Uh, rumors spread say stating Chernobylites are giving birth to children who have an unknown yellow fluid instead of blood. Children born in three or four generations will be Einstein's. Okay. Uh, and that Chernobyl was a cover-up for a cosmic experiment. So this theory is basically stating that the aliens were performing some kind of cosmic experiment on us, on the Russians specifically, and that they um, caused the meltdown at Chernobyl in order to cover up their little experiment. I personally think... That aliens don't give a fuck about us? Yeah, like, I think, and I've seen this, this is me, like, just quoting something I've seen online before, and I'm like, 
I feel like aliens would drive past here in their little spaceships and just be like, look at the fucking state of that and keep going. Yeah, absolutely they would. Just looking at the ozone layer from the outside, they're like, yeah. mm. They don't know how to make, they don't know how to run a planet. Let's go, let's, let's go. I, I'm giving aliens the credit that they would be better at keeping their oh, home at world or planet or environment safe, especially if they've already created the technology to literally shoot past Earth and be like, nah, yeah. looking at their kids, do you like, know we what don't I mean? go there. You don't ever visit Earth. Do you know, like, it's put you in the limits. facility. But like look at like look at the way like okay I know in lots of areas and stuff like that the world has come a long way but that's to be honest not good enough. Mm. Um, like look at the way like some people still treat people of other races or religions, religions or, or sexualities, sexualities or you know so on and so forth of their own human race. Yeah. Let alone if it's someone like, came along and was like I'm from another planet. Scientists would have the fucking scalpels like, out straight away. Humans must seem so primitive to aliens like yeah but you know what I think is actually hilarious as well how it's used how the word primitive is used as well to describe you know that kind of behaviour and that kind of attitude mm. because fucking the, the animal kingdom animals monkeys don't even yeah. discriminate against each other True. like that so like why is it primitive behaviour that's actually when, as, when we seem to be the only primates that have that kind of carry on yeah. it's not primitive behaviour it's like, human behaviour that yeah. needs to be fucking sorted it's literally just it's fucking Egypt there's Egypt like, out there like who looks at someone and says mm, your skin's a different shade to mine fuck that I don't like it yeah exactly and therefore I don't like you or mm, you have different uh, sexual tastes than I do uh, when it comes to people and you know what? That person well, who comes out with the two of them like, is the one that's cheating on their fucking wife with a man yeah. and using fake tan at the weekends to make their skin a different colour. Or as well, like, what, what gets me is, like, people are so concerned about the gays. About the gays. What the fuck has it got to do with Mary down the road? Yeah. What that gay man up the road does in his bedroom? What business is it of yours, Mary? Go on down to the church, confess your, your sins to the priest... Get your holy water, get your body of Christ, and go home and mind your fucking business. Literally. Like, and I love when you've just... got people like saying, like, I don't think it's ever been said to me, thank God, I've never really experienced major homophobia or anything mm. like that. You know, obviously I've experienced it, but nothing. That's usually because I'm standing behind you. With nothing majorly upsetting or anything like it. that. Say it. You know, but like, and it's kind of like when you. I don't know where I was going with that. You're saying it's never been said to you. Oh, when you, do you know, when you have like, oh, do you know, but do you not want to get into heaven? And it's like, well, first of all, I don't believe in God. And second of all, if it's full of people like you, no fucking thanks, I'll party down in hell. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, but, um, and it's the same, do you know, like, oh, I don't know. It's. Catholicism has ruined a lot. And it's just the world. Do you know what it is? Sorry to the decent people out there, but white people are the problem. Yeah. Yeah, toxic white people. Yeah. That is historically what has been the problem. It's always been. Toxic white people pushing their beliefs and their religions and their opinions on other white people and people of colour and people of different sexual orientations and different belief systems. Like, just fuck off. Let people be who they want to be. Like... I'm sure you'll know whether this is true or not, but mm. I think if I remember rightly, Continue. whether it's a theory or a fact, that everyone actually kind of came from like the African areas, yeah. and as people obviously you know travelled and spread out over the globe, obviously yep. there was less pigment being developed in the skin, which Let is why me. you have white people. Let me get so my as far as I'm concerned, 
If we're going to go by that, then should not... Now, obviously, I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, but I mean in a historical way. Should it not have been people, you know, that had black skin or and mm. whatnot that should have been above people of white skin? You would think that. Because they were the... You know, we originated from there, as, as far as I recall reading once. Exactly. So, hang on now. I just want to show so you... So, I just think it's just... It's laughable the way white people have this. Not all white people, of course, but, but historically... A, a scary amount... Um, so I did a 23andMe DNA test like I two years really ago. I really need to do one. Um, and Are they expensive? I got it on sale. Like wait till like St. Patrick's Day or Christmas or something. It'll be on sale. Um, so this goes back generations. Well, it's only gone back what one to two generations. What actually is a generation considered? Um, I don't know. So it's gone back. My ancestry timeline will say it's gone back one to two generations. And it just says British and Irish. But I know somewhere in my genetic history, there is Eastern European DNA coming up as well. And don't forget to mention your, um, what you were told at the psychic. Oh yeah, so I did... Um, I feel like my, that. What, I did my 23andMe Especially DNA with test. this case, actually. Yeah, so my 23andMe DNA test uh, came back saying that I was 89.9% British, Irish, Scottish, from British Isles or whatever. And then... Um, the rest, like 11% or whatever, was Eastern European. And then I went to a medium and he just unprovoked told me that um, a woman was coming through, one of my relations was coming through and that she had said I had genetic links to the Ukraine, which I just thought was so bizarre. Like there was no way for him to know that. Um, sorry, now I'm just trying to find... So then that could My be maternal the, haplogroup. Is Ukraine considered Eastern Europe? I believe so. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's, yeah. Like, like continent-wise it is. Yeah, it just like wasn't Lithuania, part of the EU. Russia, the Ukraine, they're all Eastern Europe. So my maternal haplogroup... Is Russia not its own continent? Oh, it is, I think, actually, yeah. But Ukraine and whatnot is Eastern European, isn't it? Here we go. So, if every person living today could trace his or her maternal line back over thousands of generations, all of our lines would meet at a single woman who lived in Eastern Africa Boom. between 150,000 and 200,000 years ago. Though she was one of perhaps thousands of women alive at the time, only the, only the diverse branches of her haplogroup have survived to today. The story of your maternal line begins with her. So I go back to my maternal haplogroup is U5. What does haplo mean? Um, it's just like the group, something to do with the genetics. Okay. Science-y. So I am... Like genes and DNA and whatnot, yeah. I suppose. Okay. So I'm U5B1D, which traces back to 47... Sorry, 15,500 years ago. It's a branch of one of the oldest haplogroups in Europe. Um, members of U5 likely spread throughout Europe around 30,000 years ago. Um, however, this branch traces back to a woman who only lived approximately 15,500 years ago. Um, so for thousands of years, mild thick glaciers had covered the northern half of Europe. During that period, humans were pushed back out of the interior and confined to small refuges in the southern part of the continent. Around 16,000 years ago, the ice began to melt, allowing humans to repopulate the continent. U5B1 arose during this time, during this re-expansion, and is broadly distributed both in Western and Eastern Europe today, and is relatively common in Scandinavia and Finland, especially in the isolated population of the Sami. And then it just gives a bit more information. So 
it goes so it just tells me that it traces back to a woman who lived approximately 11,500 years ago which is nearly 460 generations ago um and like as more information is discovered by scientists new details will be added to the story of my maternal line yeah and as science progresses today you share your haplogroup with all the maternal line descendants of the common ancestor including other 23andme customers and one in 790 23andme customers uh share my haplogroup assignment that's and i like that because i like that um I find it's quite funny actually how what I was saying ends up with your genetics. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because <laughs> like, um, it shows so much. And story. okay, I've, maybe I'm maybe it's not with everyone, but as far as I the the, the majority anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, so that's like, very interesting. That's the maternal haplogroup tree. Tree. Yeah. I must definitely do my um. I just think I just thought that was so that it's such an stage. interesting thing that they were able to tell me. Um, although sorry actually on the 23andMe one it said I was 100% um, European Northwestern European British and Irish with hits in Greater London and County Dublin which would make sense because my mother said the family is originally from Dublin yeah um, but then I uploaded my DNA profile to my heritage which okay. is another DNA site and that's when it came up that I had Eastern European ancestry as well they picked up on that one because I had always thought that like we had some kind of links to Germany because I think Rice is a German name. Okay. Whereas then like my other surname is McGraw. We know that's Irish. Irish, yeah. Um. So that was interesting to find out. To get that extra. Yeah. So there's a little rant that we've gone on. But yes. Um. So I think that. That was fantastic work, Tanya. You too, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone's listening to this podcast for the first time and they're listening to this episode, mm. they're going to be like... I'm not even sorry. Yeah, but at, at first they're... Oh, actually, no, because I... Yeah, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Moving on. Um, <laughs> anywho. Anywho. Anywhore. Um, <laughs> Anyhow. Um, but anyway, so I guess that concludes our episode mm. on the Chernobyl power plant disaster. Um, and... Thanks for listening. Thanks for You're listening. a sound bunch. And hopefully you will listen to us again next week. Yeah. Because otherwise we're going to show up outside your house and make you listen. We're going to bring headphones. Yes. Pair of beats. We'll make Stick an episode on. out of us harassing you. Yeah. Sell a tape into your head. Pair of beats. <laughs> go away. I can barely afford a pair of headphones and deals. Um, but um, yes. So... Thanks for listening, guys, and, and we will speak to you soon. Exactly, we'll chew yours off next week now instead. Yes. Um. Okay. Hasta la vista. Slon. Hasta luego. Ciao.